Hello? Oh, there we go. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so I'm so glad everyone is here, and we'd just like to start off with a few announcements. Um, we had our annual trunk or treat, and we just want to thank everybody who participated. It was a hit. We had a number of people come, and it was just fantastic. So these are some of the pictures that you can enjoy. So cute. I got to tell you, a lot of our people are pretty creative, huh? How fun. What a good night. It's fun to see when community comes together, too, and that we can just have fun and worship and um, enjoy each other. Also, last night, we had our worship evening. And I got to tell you, it was wonderful. We had so many people here. And it was just, um, it was quiet, and it was intimate. And it was just such, such a blessing to see people singing praises and glorifying God. So we want to thank everybody who came and participated in that. And for um, the other two churches that were here with us, it was Crossroads Community Church and Wesley Chapel. It's really nice when we can see the Big C Church coming together and serving the Lord together. And lastly, we want to thank everybody who has contributed to the ministry of the gospel here at Trinity. And also just a reminder of how we can continue to give and continue uh, to contribute. You can do that four different ways. You can do that online, through the app on your phone. You can text it or also just write a check. And we have um, the gratitude, what are they called? Generosity boxes in the back. And I think there's one out front also that you can just put stuff into. Um, the last thing I want to say before we start, we're going to, um, we're starting our series on thanks and giving, and so you'll notice that the songs this morning are all about being thankful, and during our first song, Thank You, Lord, we're going to ask you in the middle of it, we meaning me, I'm going to ask you in the middle of it, we can just spend some time thanking the Lord. We call it popcorn prayers, and we were hoping to have some popcorn. That would have been fun, but we're not having popcorn. But we're just going to offer popcorn prayers to the Lord. You know, last week Nina had told us when we were singing um, a song, and we were singing in both Spanish and English, that there will be a time when we stand before the throne of God, that all nations and all tribes and every language will be there. And I want to do that while we're here today. Let's offer up a symphony of prayer and just fill this space with praise and thanksgiving to our Lord. Let me pray for us. Oh, dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you that we get to come here today to worship, glorify, and thank you for who you are. Lord, be with us as we come into your presence and help receive what we're giving to you. In your name, amen. Would you stand with us, please?
just a one sentence prayer to the Lord and thank him for what he's done in our lives today. Bring a symphony to him right now. Lord, we thank you that you are a glorious, wonderful God. We thank you that we can come to you and praise your name. With a grateful heart, with a song of praise, with an outstretched arm, I will bless your name. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thank you so much. Let's continue to praise the Lord now with the song, Come and See.
Jesus, Jesus, man, do I love you. I thank you so much for who you are and for what you've done. I thank you that we can come into your house and we can worship and glorify your name. I thank you, Lord, that we can see evidence of who you are all around us in everything that we see, in everything that we touch, in everything that we do. I just pray that your presence continues to stay here, that we allow it, Lord, just to feel you, to honor you, to glorify you, to be touched by who you are in this place today. In your precious name, amen. And children, you are dismissed. Well, as the kids make their way out, we will turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Today we are beginning a, a, a new sermon series called Thanks and Giving. Thanks and Giving. And the reason why is because Christmas is coming. Oh, Thanksgiving. Thank you, Scott. I... I uh, no, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. I think we think that because it's November, we're obligated to talk about Thanksgiving or, or Thanksgiving, but we're not. But there is also an opportunity to take advantage of the, the calendar year, to consider the things that we are going through, the, the, the moment that our world is facing, and, and, and coming into this season of Thanksgiving is a good reminder for us to consider what role gratitude and Thanksgiving play in our lives. Now, this fall, we've talked a bit about spiritual leadership. We've discussed how uh, our spiritual gifts aren't meant to be uh, just acknowledged and then put on a shelf, right? God has given us particular gifts and, and ways that we are uh, invited to be a part of his story, to contribute back into the world that God is building, the kingdom of God. But, but they're not, so these gifts that we're given are not meant to be celebrated, say, hey, I've got the gift of, of preaching or teaching, and, then, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to celebrate that and then put it on the shelf and, and, and hope that it'll uh, make sense someday. No, these gifts are given to us to be used, to be, to be exercised, to be given back to the world, to be given back to God. And, and so maybe one of the most important things we've learned about uh, spiritual leadership and just life in Christ is that it's every day a reminder that this life is not about you, and it's not about me. It's about something much bigger than that, much broader than that, much more important to uh, what's going on in this world than, than about just my life. It's about God's great story of rescue and redemption and love. Now, it's possible to become this servant leader in our world with the best of intentions but the worst motivations, right? It's, it's possible to come into the world of religion with the best of intentions that we think this is a good place to be, this is a good place to grow and, and, and be changed, and so we, we have these intentions to draw near, but we've got the worst motivations. Not, not intentionally, mind you, but we do have these motivations. Now, some people serve in God's kingdom out of obligation. 
Others uh, serve in, uh, in, in God's kingdom uh, out of fear. And, and, and still others because they think that it will help them earn God's favor and that somehow God will bless them because they're working hard in the church. They're working hard in the kingdom of God. Now, we don't necessarily say these things. We don't necessarily say that this is why we're doing what we're doing, but there are these subtle thoughts behind our motivations in our relationship with God. We think things like, I don't necessarily want to, but I have to, right? It's just, I don't know why, but it's just something God tells me I'm supposed to do, right? Or, or God won't really love me or, or be happy with me unless I do this, unless I serve, unless I give, unless I, I, I exercise my time and my talents for his purposes. Or, or I have to serve God, otherwise he won't protect me. I won't have his blessing on my life unless I'm using these gifts that he's given me. Or, or if I give God this or do this for God, well, then he's going to do this for me, right? It's going to work out. If I, if I show God that he's got a reason to bless me, then he's going to bless me, right? But this isn't the motivation that God calls us into, that he invites us into uh, as his children in a relationship with him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, Paul tells us that, that God loves a, a cheerful giver. And what this means for us is that the giving of our time, the giving of our talents, the, the giving of our, our treasures, the, the gifts that God has blessed us with, the spiritual gifts that we've been called to exercise, doesn't come from a place of, or isn't motivated by fear or, or obligation. It comes from a, a, a cheery disposition. Now, this cheery disposition is more than just that, that happy face, right? It's more than that, than, than that person that shows up and gives God lip service with, with words in, 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 in the community or, or by having a smiling face, but behind the scenes, their life is something much different, right? If you're from the South or you know someone from the South, then you know that when someone says, bless your heart, it doesn't actually mean bless your heart. It actually is kind of like a, oh my goodness, you poor, you poor, poor person, or, or you know, it's, a, it's it's giving lip service to someone, but really your intentions, your motivations, your, your desires contradict that, right? You're, you're not feeling so good for this person. See, the cheerfulness that God loves is an inner posture of joy and gladness that's overflowing, right? The, the, the cheerfulness that God desires, that he wants, that God loves is one where there is an integration of the, the inner person with the outer person. And what that integration between the inner person and outer person reveals is that they are a joyful person. Regardless of what's going on in the world out here, they are a joy-filled, glad person. And so it overflows into the world around you. If your heart was a sponge, then it would be saturated. It would be like one of those sponges that are filled with water, so you barely have to touch it, and, and water squeezes out of it. The cheerful person, the cheery person, the person with a cheerful disposition, has this joy and gladness spill out of them because of, because of what God has done, right? God wants us to serve and give from this overabundance of joy and gladness in Christ Jesus, that he is planted in our souls. So God wanting a cheerful giver and a servant leader is God wanting you to serve from this right heart, from this posture that is, that's in alignment with God's purposes and God's plan. And a right heart starts with gratitude. I think a heart of gratitude is the only proper heart from which we can serve. 
Right? We're not going to come to the end of our servant leadership series, by the way, and say, okay, leadership's done and it's in the past. We're going to move on to another topic. All of our life in Christ is, is, is one. And so even as you think about being invited into being uh, used in the kingdom of God as part of the family of God, God has a purpose for you. But before he asks you to do something for him, he wants you to know why you have every reason to be filled with gratitude in your inmost person. So it's the heart of gratitude, which is the, the, the posture of our heart from which we serve as leaders and servants in the church. Roman uh, statesman Cicero thought that gratitude was not only the greatest of virtues, but it was also the parent of the others. In other words, the virtues of our life grow out of this foundation of, of gratitude. It's, it's the, the place from which the virtues of our character are shaped and molded and formed coming out of this place of gratitude. So I think it's important that we understand that this, this is a core virtue of gratitude. And, and, and having this core virtue of gratitude in our lives cannot just grow out of being afraid of God or being, uh, feeling obligated to give God our gratitude, to give him our thanks, or, or think that if, if, if he hears me being thankful, he's going to bless me. That's not, where, that, that, that's not how God works or what he desires to do. It's important to understand that, that gratitude is a posture that God cultivates in us, that God grows in us. And not because we're afraid, not because we, we think that God will bless us if, if we can pretend well enough that we're thankful and grateful for what he's done. Gr- gratitude's not a posture we embrace out of obligation because we think we're going to be seen as being more holy if we do. Gratitude is a fruit that grows in our hearts as we allow God's spirit to work in and cultivate our lives. Hear hear me when I say this, because I think sometimes when we talk about gratitude, we talk about it as if it's a behavior that's expected of Christians. It's not a behavior that is expected of Christians. It's a spiritual fruit that God cultivates in our hearts. So there are some of us this morning who say, man, I'm, I'm just not as grateful as that person over there. Don't listen to that voice. Shut that out of your ears. Because God's not going around saying, which of my children is most grateful? They've got it right. This other person, they don't have it right. What God is saying is God wants to gift you the reasons for gratitude. And not just the reasons for the gratitude. That fruit, that spiritual character of of confidence and joy and gladness that's welling up inside of you and overflowing from your heart. It's a fruit that he grows in us. Now, Paul may not identify this fruit among his, his you know, the, the famous spiritual fruits that he talks about in Galatians, but don't be fooled. The gift of gratitude, the fruit of gratitude, is something that grows in us. You can't force it. It, it, can't, be, it can't grow out of, uh, out of obligation or out of fear of what God will do if we're not grateful. You can't fake it. Why? And this is... Well, this is why we're, we're going to be in Luke 17 today. I'm glad you asked why. Because gratitude is a response. Gratitude is a fruit that grows in response to something. And specifically in the life of faith, it's a response to God and to his actions and his movements in our lives. Gratitude is an attitude and a posture that's present in every child of God. 
In every follower of Jesus, gratitude is there. You may not think that it's there. It may be very small. It may be be almost unnoticeable in, in your own eyes, but it's there. Every child of God has gratitude in their lives. How much is present and what it looks like is not dependent on God. It's dependent on you. See, God has given us everything in Christ. The reason for our gratitude has been given to you, has been given to me, through Jesus Christ, through that moment where we say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop trying to live this life in my own strength, in my own ability, in my own wisdom, in my own wittiness, and I'm going to start trusting that through Jesus Christ alone is, will, will be the fulfillment of my life, the salvation of my soul, the, the forgiveness of my sins, and the salvation to the life that God desires for his children. And, and in that place, God has given us every spiritual blessing. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verse 3, he says this about the, the reasons we have planted in our souls. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He goes on in this chapter to say that in Jesus we have redemption. In Jesus, we have forgiveness for our trespasses. In Jesus, we have received grace. In Jesus, we have an eternal inheritance. In Jesus, we've been sealed with the Holy Spirit as a foretaste of the promises of God. In other words, God has given us his very self, the Holy Spirit of God dwelling within us as a promise of the complete fullness, the fullness of the kingdom of God that will one day be ours when Christ returns. It's all there. All the reasons you have to be filled with gratitude are there. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to wait until you're more mature to to embrace them. All the reasons we have for gratitude are there within us. But it's not doing us any good if we're not paying any attention to them. This is where I think that this idea of gratitude is not so much dependent on, on, on who God is or how much he wants to give us. He's not, he's not dishing it out and, and stingy with some people, but, uh, but, but overfilling uh, with, with abundance of gratitude to others. He's given us all of these things. So where gratitude is dependent is on us paying attention to these reasons that we've been given for gratitude. See, at the foundation of our life in Christ, there's all these reasons, all these reasons that we have to be grateful. But, but in s- some of our lives, these, the seeds of gratitude are more like the seeds that have been cast on a, a, a stony path. There's no soil for them to, to dig down into, to, to take root in. There's no, no, no nourishment for the seed to grow in. They're just kind of left to, to die under the scorching heat of the sun. But rest assured, God has graciously and abundantly planted those seeds in your life. We just got to pay attention to them. So the, the Westminster Catechism puts it like this. They say that the, the, they've written that the purpose of our life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? But, but how can we enjoy God forever if we don't know him? How how can we enjoy God forever unless we have a grasp on all the the reasons that we have to enjoy him forever, who he is, what he's done, what he's promised to do? 
You may remember the story in, in the, the, the birth narrative of Jesus, and the angels visit the shepherds out in the, in, in the hillside while they're watching over their sheep at night, right? And as the, the angels visit the shepherds, are the shepherds having a little, little party? No, they're terrified, right? They're terrified when, when, these, when these angels show up in the sky. But by the end of the story, we're told that the shepherds return back to the fields, glorifying God, praising him, and telling everyone about what they've seen, right? So how do you go from being terrified to glorifying God and being overflow, and, and overflowing with gratitude? Well, for the shepherds, we see it in how they pay attention, how they notice what God is doing. They, they, they listened when the angel said, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, right? They, they, they pay attention. They don't, they, they don't keep shaking in their boots after the angels say this. They go to Bethlehem. They, they go and check out what, what's just been proclaimed to them. They pay attention to it. And, and the fruit of that of paying attention in that moment is this overflowing gratitude that looks like them glorifying God, telling everyone about what they've seen and heard. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this relationship of gratitude in the life of a follower of Christ. We're going we're, we're, we're to sit here now on the, at the beginning of November, prior to Thanksgiving, we're going to take a few weeks to really explore what does gratitude look like in my life? It's there. Let, let's start from the, the starting point of, of saying we all have reason to be grateful in Christ Jesus. We just got to notice it. We got to tend to it. We got to pay attention to what's going on here. So we're going to look at this relationship of gratitude in the life of a follower, but, but we're not going to stop there because the, the, the kind of the outcome, if like as Cicero said, if ver, uh, gratitude isn't just one of the greatest virtues, but it's also the parent of other virtues, then there's going to be an outcome of gratitude at work in our lives too. There's going to be a fruit coming out of our fruit, right? And, and so we want to pay attention to that as well. We want to understand how this overflowing heart of gratitude leads to generosity in our lives. That, that, that subtle way of saying, hey, life is not about you. It's about something more than you. It's about learning to be generous toward God and to other people on, on a vertical level and also on a horizontal level. And this morning, we're going to start this three-week journey in the book of Luke, the New Testament Gospel of Luke in chapter 17. Let me, uh, let me just pray for us before we, we get into that. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that, that, that this is a revelation, this is your revelation of yourself and your plan and your purposes and how you have worked throughout history in the lives of your people and in this creation. Lord, I pray this morning as we open your word in Luke chapter 17, that you would, you would make yourself known to us. You would illuminate the word of God to us in such a way that, that we don't just fill our heads with knowledge about you, but, but that that very word would take root in our hearts and would transform our lives unlike anything we could do on our own. Any, unlike any human effort we can contribute is the, the life-changing power of your word of God. So Lord, may your word have its way in us. And transform us, we pray this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in verse 
uh, 11 of chapter 17, Luke records this. He says, on the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Now, there is a, a, a purpose Luke, that Luke has in telling us where Jesus is going. If you were to read the Gospel of Luke from beginning to end, you would see that something happens right toward the end of chapter 9 and continues on through Luke 17, where Jesus is on this journey to Jerusalem. And it's not just like, hey, uh, let me tell you about my family vacation. Jesus is journeying to Jerusalem with a purpose, a divine purpose, a purpose for which we know that Jesus came to this earth, not just to seek and to save the lost, but to do so by dying a death he did not deserve, a death on a Roman cross. And that happens when he finally reaches Jerusalem. And so here we are, partway on Jesus' journey from, uh, to Jerusalem, and Luke is very intentional in telling us this. But, but where Luke is very vague is telling us some of the specifics of the journey that Jesus is on. See, all Luke really tells us in our passage this morning is that, that Jesus is passing somewhere along be, between Samaria and Galilee. Uh, that's like being told Jesus was walking somewhere between Fairfield and New Haven, right? It's very vague. There's, there's lots of places he could be walking right now, right? He isn't telling us anything specific geographically. Right? We're, we, don't, we, we can't make much of where Jesus is geographically at this point. But, but Luke goes on to say that Jesus enters a village. Okay, so maybe we can find out more. What does he say about the village? It's a village. He doesn't say where the village is or, 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 or who makes up the village. Is, is it the Black Rock neighborhood or, or maybe it's Greenfield Hill? We just don't know, right? Again, geographically, Luke is being very vague with us. We don't know if the village is made up of, of Galileans or, or maybe it's Samaritans. Again, don't know. But if you're a student of the Bible or if you've read some of your Bible before, you've read some of the stories in the New Testament, you, you, you may be tempted to, to kind of speculate a little bit here. Oh, he's, he's somewhere between Galilee and Samaria. Oh, the Samaritans, right? The, the Jewish people didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jewish people. So maybe, maybe there's something going on there. That's not necessarily even hear what, what Luke is saying at this point. Again, we don't know if these villagers are Samaritan, Galilean. In, in fact, it's, it's really not what is most important to the moment. What is important to the moment is that these people had leprosy. And, and leprosy was a significant thing back then. It was a generic term for a skin disease, but what this skin disease did was, was virtually isolate someone, right? They, they would, it would be solitary confinement from the rest of the community, right? Because it, it made them ceremonial, ceremonially, if I can get that word out, unclean, right? That meant that, religiously speaking, this person was not allowed to draw near with the, with the worshiping community, and, and, and not only that out of fear that other people would become unclean, you kind of had to distance yourself from them. So the fact that these 10 lepers are somewhere between Samaria and Galilee should at least tell us something of their isolation. They're so far on the outskirts of Galilee and they're so far on the outskirts of Samaria that they're somewhere in the in-between. These 10 people are pretty isolated. Now, I, I don't know about you, but, but as, as we kind of ventured through the, the pandemic, isolation was a... Was a was a thing, right? It was a pretty discouraging thing. It, it was demoralizing. It, 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 it played 
tricks on you. Like, I remember early on in the pandemic when, when, like, when we were, like, terrified. We didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what to do. We just wanted to make sure everyone was safe, and, and that was wise and good. But me and my family, we were at our house. I would go out, get groceries when we need them, but, but generally speaking, it was us. Morning to night, it was not like we had a lot of social interactions with other people, maybe from a distance, but nothing like, like we were used to. I remember for some reason, and this became a thing, like you, you look it up, like people were having these experiences. I was having the weirdest dreams. I don't know if that happened to you, but, but it was like, I'd wake up, and there weren't nightmares, they were just weird, they are strange. Like, the kind of you wake up like, that was, that was very weird. Now, I'm not, this is not about dreams, it's just a matter of like isolation, it plays tricks on you, right? It's discouraging. Not only do you feel this inner shame of being rejected by the people around you or feeling like you're grosser or less than, but it actually starts to play a role in shaping your soul, in shaping who you are and how you face people around you. It's, it's true for lepers. They, they were rejected socially, religiously, in, in, a, in a day and an age where community and, and, and and being a people mattered, this was like one of the worst diagnoses they could get. It wasn't maybe the worst, but it was, it was significant because it, it, it played tricks on them from multiple levels. And for some of these lepers, their, their, their isolation was, was a, a life sentence, right? Their, their infection would never go away. There was a way that if you had a skin disease and it was healed, you could return to the community, Right? You could go through a process of, uh, of kind of becoming ceremonially clean again and, and return to the community. But for, for some, this is a, a, a life sentence of being separated from community. You can, you can almost hear their desperation in their voices in our passage. Look at what they say in, in verse 13. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Right? I mean, some people would say that this is kind of like someone sitting outside a temple begging for alms. But, but this is more than that, right? This is, you can almost hear it in their voice saying, you know, Jesus, help us. Have mercy on us. We, we, need, we need a solution. We're desperate, right? Lifting up their voices was nothing more significant than the fact that they weren't supposed to be close enough. Like, I couldn't, like me and Ricky right now, we, we could probably have a conversation if I wasn't mic'd and he could hear me, but someone in the back of the congregation couldn't hear me, right? This, the, the reason why they lift their voices is because they had to stay away from people. They saw Jesus going by and, and, and they cry out to him, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, I don't think we can make an implication about this statement as being a statement of faith or not at this point, because, you know, we don't know much about these people or, or what they're actually saying. What we do know is that they're hungry. They're, they're, they're discouraged. I, I would imagine that, that they're feeling depleted when it comes to being grateful and, grat- and having that, that inner joy and, and gratitude at work. But notice how Jesus responds to them. Look at verse 14 with me. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus saw them. Again, I, I don't want to over-spiritualize what could just be kind of Luke telling a narrative, telling a story. But I think it's important for us to, to see here that Jesus saw what the problem was. I mean, even from a distance, 
Jesus had the wisdom and the knowledge to know what was going on here. He saw them. He saw their situation. He heard their desperation. He understood that their their situation, their issue was more than just a skin disorder. It was spiritual. Something significant in their, their isolation from the community. Jesus saw them. And then he responds. Now, one could argue that, that Jesus sent them away without dealing with their problem. You know, like sometimes if, if I've got a lot going on in my mind and the kids come up to me and say, hey, dad, 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 can I eat this candy bar? And I say, go ask your mom, right? I virtually could say I'm passing the buck there. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sending uh, my kids to my wife for her to deal with it rather than deal with the issue myself. That's not what Jesus is doing here. He sends them away to their priests. Again, we don't know if these are, are priests of the Samaritans or the Galileans or, or who the priests are. We just know that Jesus sends these lepers away to their priests, not to, not to Jerusalem necessarily, but to their priest, so that they could show themselves that they had become clean, right? And when Jesus sends them away, at this point, when he says, go show your priest, they're still sick, Right? The healing that they were looking for, the answers that they were hoping Jesus would give them, required trusting Jesus and trusting his words. They, they, they couldn't say, oh, okay, Jesus, we're going to go show our priest, but before we do, can you, can you actually, can you, can you kind of get rid of this skin rash I've got going on here? No. He sends them away, and it's not until they're actually on their way to see their priest that we're told that they were cleansed. And here is where we see gratitude coming into the picture. There was a song uh, that, uh, when, I, when I was growing up, I used to watch Sesame Street, and I know it's still around, but it's changed a little bit over time, and I don't know if they still sing this song, but when I was watching growing up, there was a song, uh, one of these things is not like the other, right? Not going to sing it, don't worry. But as they sang the song, you were meant to look at the different things on the screen and, and kind of make a comparison. Which of these items is not like the other, right? Well, one of these lepers was not like the others. And up until now, there's no way of knowing one from the other. They're always spoken of as the 10 lepers or the group of them, right? Luke had only ever spoken of them as being one whole complete unit. But look at what happens in these next couple of verses as the lepers experience being cleansed. Look at verses 15 to 16. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. See, one of the lepers is not like the others. They were all cleansed. They all listened to Jesus and went off to their priest to show them, but only one turned back. Only one praised God with a loud voice. Only one worshiped at Jesus' feet and gave thanks. Now, you may think, okay, here's where we're comparing the one who gave thanks. He's the better better believer, right? That's not what we're saying here. That's not what we're looking at. What we're looking at is probably a maybe even more significant difference is that he alone noticed that he was healed. He alone noticed that something had happened as he's on his way. Luke says that he saw that he was healed. 
Unlike the others, this one man realized what Jesus had done, that, that something really special had happened. And instead of continuing on his way to show the priests, he turns back. He returns to Jesus. He, he, he acknowledges what had happened because he noticed, he saw. See, all of them had exhibited some measure of faith in obeying Jesus' words and going off to the priest, but only the one man turned back to Jesus. Only the one man acknowledged what had been done for him. And it's interesting because the only thing we're told specifically about this man is he was a Samaritan, right? And see, I think Luke's point in telling us this is that Jesus' mission was not a guarantee because of what nation you grew up in or, or your, your religion of choice or whatever it is. Your, your, the salvation, the, the, the healing, the, the blessing came through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and specifically here as a Samaritan, Luke's readers would have expected him the least to be the hero of the story or, or the, the kind of one of the main characters. The, the Samaritans were, were kind of seen as, um, as uh, the, the Hatfields and the McCoy, right? The, 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 the Jewish people and the Samaritans, they were always at, at opposition. I couldn't remember the name, but like Romeo and Juliet, what are the two families? The, the Romulets, Capulets? Yeah, Montague and Capulets, thank you, right? Am I saying that right now? I don't know. But I, so, so the, the, the two families were in opposition and so it would be like saying, hey, here's, here's the, the enemy is the, one that is, is the one that's upheld in this story that God is telling of salvation, of healing. So I think it's just interesting. That's the only thing we know about the leper who turns back to Jesus. He's the least expected to respond in the manner that God highlights and, and, and celebrates. To the hero of our passage, or I shouldn't say the hero, the, 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 the main character that responds in the way that God desires is the Samaritan. All ten lepers cry out to Jesus for mercy. All ten were sent to the priest to show that they had been healed. All ten were actually healed of their skin diseases. But only one recognized. O only one recognized what Jesus had done. Only one returns to Jesus. And only one responds in worship and gratitude. See, gratitude is a spiritual fruit that grows out of recognizing God's work in our lives. It's a fruit that grows out of noticing, of paying attention to. But for gratitude to grow in our lives, we then need to habitually turn our attention on God. See, gratitude grew and, and manifested its, itself in the Samaritan leper's life only when he had seen what had been, that, that he had been healed and recognized that it was because of Jesus. Church, I don't think I need to sell you on all the, the benefits of living with gratitude, right? L living in gratitude is a constant reminder of our richness in Christ. Th this, is, th this was something that Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, that, that only, uh, only with gratitude our lives become rich. 
This is a pastor who stood up in opposition to the Nazis who eventually died in a prison camp. Now, he was a man who had ample reason to worry. He was a man who had plenty of reasons to be stressed out. He was, he was a man who could, could easily, I could easily understand being afraid that evil was going to win the day, right? Living on his side of history, there is no guarantee that the Nazis would be stopped. And so for him, I could understand him being afraid that evil was going to win, right? Living in fear, living in anxiety, living with this anger against what's, what's happening. But, but this is a man who says we're most rich because of our grounding in gratitude. See, with our, with our hearts saturated with gratitude, there's, there's less space to worry there's less space in our hearts to stress over, over accomplishing or achieving or attaining. But here's the thing. I don't, I don't think that I need to convince you of how much better our lives are when, when our souls are rooted in gratitude to God. I think what, what we need convincing of this morning is the difficulty we face in obtaining it. The, the difficulty of obtaining a heart saturated in gratitude. The, the, the thing that sets the Samaritan leper apart from the others was his seeing what Jesus had done. And I think what this means for you and me is that, that the greatest obstacle for us in living with gratitude is overcoming the challenge of distraction in the age of distraction, right? Our phones ding, our watches vibrate, our, our email boxes overflow, we, we start scrolling through our Facebook feeds and, and stop an hour later and wonder where the time has gone. We jump around to different shows on Netflix or scroll past headlines on, the Google, on Google News. And every time we give in to these distractions, something happens. Our hearts and our minds are discipled. We become students of the age of distraction that we're, we're living in, right? Our attention span gets shorter and shorter and shorter. See, gratitude cannot grow in the heart and mind of a person that pays no attention to God's work in their lives. A distracted heart and mind is, is becoming more and more common. I mean, I, I don't, we don't need to raise hands or anything like this, but I think it's something we all struggle with. Right? It's getting increasingly more difficult to pay attention to God and to notice the work he's doing in our lives. There's a guy, an author named Nicholas Carr who wrote a book called The Shallows. And, and, and in his book, he, he, he highlights one example of this growing distractedness. He, he points to 2005 as a year when, when the online digital experience just began to explode, right? It hits this new exhilarating level. And, and he says there was an explosion of blogs online that became sources of information. The speed and the simplicity of, of, of the internet all changed. The, the sounds and the videos and the pictures all increased. But he says it was also this time that he started to wonder. He wondered if all of this was actually good, right? He started to realize that the internet had control over his life in a way that, that his traditional computer never did. And, and I, I get it. Some of us, we've grown up with the internet, so it's not... It's not like we have a point of comparison of pre-internet and post-internet. So, so we, we kind of take his, his experience and, and we, we learn from it. We don't say that it's the, the only experience, but we learn from what he experienced in living pre-internet and then post-internet. And, and in, in living with this new thing called the internet, he realized that it was starting to take control over his life in this way that he'd never experienced before. 
His, his habits were actually changing to accommodate this digital way of life. He, he became dependent on the internet for, for information and activity, right? He didn't wait for the newspaper to get delivered to his house. He just pulled it up on his phone or on his computer. He, he found his ability to pay attention declining. And at one point in the book, he says this. He says, at first I'd figured that the problem was a symptom of a middle-aged mind rot. But my brain, I realized, wasn't just drifting. It was hungry. It was demanding to be fed the way the internet fed it. And the more it was fed, the hungrier it became. Even when I was away from my computer, I yearned to check my email, to click links, to do some Googling. I wanted to be connected. Can any of you relate to what he's describing here? I mean, I know I can. I mean, I find myself checking my email on my phone or my computer every 10 minutes or so, not because I'm waiting for a particular email or anything like that that I'm eager to read. It, it, it just, it's, it's this, like, uh, this habit that you, you don't even realize you're doing it until you're doing it, right? I, I pull up my Google News feed, right, scroll through that, scroll through one of my social media feeds, not because I have to or I'm looking for something, but, but because there's this inner hunger that I'm trying to, to satisfy, to satiate. Church, noticing God and his activity is not the whole story of how gratitude is cultivated in your life. But if we can't string minutes of uninterrupted, distraction-free reflection in our li- on our lives and where God's at work in our lives, well, there's no hope of us truly seeing gratitude come to, to define our life in God. Right? If we can't notice God, if we can't pay attention to what he's doing, uh, if we can't think on the promises of God and, t- and, 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 and find our hope in those places, to, to remain rooted and grounded in those promises, if we can't do those things because we're so distracted, not because of the noise out there, but because of the way our hearts and our minds have been discipled to hunger for that, that ding of the phone or the vibration on your pocket or, 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 or just that, that new article that might pop up if you refresh your screen, Right? We're being discipled by these things, and our minds are constantly distracted. And so we need, to, we need to consider what does it mean then to pay attention to God, to notice his work in our lives. And so maybe when you feel the urge to scroll through your social media page, maybe, maybe you pull out a journal, and you just write down, where are some of the things that you're thankful for today? Where do, or maybe not just, what am I thankful for? Where did I notice God today? Where did, I, where did I see him show up? Or, or, or maybe, maybe it's even to start to think on, man, where, do I, where, do I, where was I most hungry for God? Maybe it's a moment of desperation, a moment of anguish or pain. And I said, man, I was, I was really looking for God's comfort. And I, I really wanted God to comfort me in that place. I was feeling lonely and scared or whatever. Maybe it's doing that when you, when you feel these other urges, right? Maybe it's going for a walk outside. Maybe it's going for a walk outside where you leave your smart watch and your, your phone inside, right? You go completely cordless or wireless or electric-free, right? And, and listen, if you're worried about how you're going to keep track of your steps, you can estimate that, right? You can, you can say, I, I mean, I do it all the time. I, I give myself a good mile or two more than I probably walk in a day. But, but if you want to develop a habit, habit of noticing God, you have to address the habit of distraction in your life. Right? It's not just a matter of, man, i got to try harder to notice God. You also have to try to notice what's distracting your heart and your mind. It's hard. 
the, the, the fruit of having the, the, the spiritual fruit of gratitude in your life is not so easy to obtain. But man, it's a practice worth pursuing. Don't, don't be like the nine lepers. Be like the one Samaritan who, who recognized what Jesus had done for him and returned giving thanks. In verses 17 to nine of our, 19 of our passage, Jesus tells this to the Samaritan. Jesus answered, we're not 10 cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. God desires to make you well. A wellness, a health in your inmost being. But it starts in this place of noticing God. And maybe, maybe it starts in a place of noticing God and also noticing the distractions that are in your life. I, I can't say social media is your distraction. I think there are different things that distract us. Satan is a crafty one, right? He, he knows how to, how to uh, approach each person a little bit differently. But, but seeing that spiritual fruit of gratitude cultivated in your life is what God wants. He wants your health. He wants, he wants you to be well. And that comes through our faith in him. See, God has, has planted us here as a church in Fairfield for a purpose. He's planted us here so that we would see the love of Jesus overwhelm and transform the families of our community. Not so he'll see a church doing good deeds and, and look at the cool things they've got going on. He, he's planted us here that we might be a conduit of God's divine love in our community. They too might see the love of Jesus overwhelming the people here and they say, I want that. I want Jesus to overwhelm and transform the families of, 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 in, in my household, in my neighborhood. But here's the thing. That won't be possible if all our community sees is a bunch of tired, anxious, and bitter people who are hungering for more distractions. Right? We're, we're going to look no different than our world if all we're doing is giving into the discipling of distraction. So let's choose gratitude, right? Let's, let's let this month of November, as, as we're, we're thinking about Thanksgiving in our world, let's use that to our advantage. Let, let's let God use that to, to our advantage in helping us to think on this idea of gratitude, the spiritual gift of gra or, uh, fruit of gratitude. Let's choose it. Let's choose a life of noticing God. Let, let's choose to live out of the abundance of that gratitude. Let's not worry when things come up, but, but, then, but, but instead notice and remember how God is at work in our lives. Let's not get bitter and angry when things don't turn out the way we expected them to, but, but rather grow more confident because we, we know at the very core of our being that God is at work doing something beyond our scope of, of, of knowledge. Let's notice his love. Let's notice him. Let's notice his grace. Let's notice his forgiveness. Let's, let's be like the Samaritan and be like the one who, who recognized Jesus and recognized what he did. See, this, this Thanksgiving, we're going to gather around our tables with family and friends, and we're going to share what we're thankful for. And, and we can be thankful for, for almost anything. We can be thankful for our homes, our families, our, our health. But, but don't be like the nine lepers and overlook the reason for our gratitude, right? All of our gratitude finds its roots in Jesus and what he's done on our behalf. 
That's the very core of, of, of who we are as the people of God. We, we find our, our hope and our, our sustenance and our significance in the gratitude that God has planted in our hearts. Many of us will have reason to give thanks this Thanksgiving, but only some of us will realize that Jesus is the reason for our gratitude. So let's, let's be like the ten lepers, and let's call on Jesus for his mercy. But more than that, let's be like the one Samaritan leper and recognize what Jesus has done for you and for me and let him grow the spiritual fruit of gratitude in you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much that, that this idea of gratitude is not something that we have to try harder to do or, 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 or uh, you know, maybe if we, if we say it, then it'll, it'll happen, it'll be true. If we say we're thankful, then, it's gonna, then, then our hearts will be thankful. Lord, help us to see that gratitude is something that we receive in noticing you, in noticing your work in, in our lives, in noticing your love for us, in noticing your grace, in, in noticing that you want to be with us, in noticing that, that you provide for us, that you care for us, that, that, that you are working out your plans and your promises so we don't need to worry about what the future holds because their future is in your hands. Lord, help us to notice these things, not just once a week when we gather here for worship together as a church family, but help us to notice these things day in and day out, every moment of every day. Help us to wake up thinking on you and noticing you and go to bed reflecting on where you, were, where, where you made yourself known and visible to us throughout our day. Lord, help us to notice you in such a way that, that, that you saturate our hearts and minds, that, that we hunger for more of you and less of, uh, of scrolling through our Google News or, or whatever it might be that distracts us. God, help us to notice you. And Lord, out of that noticing, may the fruit of gratitude, that thanksgiving, may it grow up, may it become such a, a, an abundant harvest in our lives that it overflows into the lives of others. May we too come to that place where we say, thank you, Jesus. Not because we feel like we have to or it's expected of us, but because we can't help but say it. Because it's so clear to us how you love us, how you're at work in our lives, how great you are. Father, help us to notice you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, one way that we can notice Jesus together as a church family is in celebrating the Lord's Supper. The table before us is a table of remembering what Jesus has done on our behalf and the very reason why we can gather together as a church family. We are the body of Christ, the family of God through our faith in Jesus Christ because of what he's done on, our, on the cross on our behalf. Namely, that we believe that he died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, that, that we might no longer be uh, kind of known or identified by our brokenness and our sin, but that we might be known by Christ's love and sacrifice and his obedience to the Father. And so we come to the Lord's table as a, as a church family by faith. Now, before we do celebrate this together, I just want to remind you that we, we, we currently have these new cups um, that hopefully work a little bit easier in celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, if you're holding your cup like this, 
you actually have to turn it over when we celebrate the body of Christ, the, the bread, right? Because uh, all you have to do is pull the tab on the bottom and you have a, uh, a little piece of, uh, not the body of Christ, but the bread of, of, of communion. And then after we celebrate that, you can turn the cup back over where you can pull the tab and we can celebrate the juice together. So I just say that uh, hopefully, so you don't have to worry about what am I supposed to do, which one do I go first with. Um, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, hopefully uh, with zero anxiety, but an invitation from, from God to come to the table and, and celebrate what he has done on our behalf. So church, this is a moment in our time where we remember that night that Jesus was betrayed. We remember the night when he gathered with his disciples, worshiped, together, worshiped God together, shared a meal together, and, and before he went out into the garden to pray and was betrayed. And, and why this moment is so significant is because it's a, a moment that Jesus gave us a gift, a gift where he invites us to remember regularly, to, to notice God regularly together as a church family. But this is not just a, a moment of solemn uh, guilt or, or, or pain in what Jesus, uh, remembering the pain that Jesus went through. This is a celebration. I, I think I've shared this story before, but uh, when Tar and I got married, I was nervous, of course, but I was standing up at the front. And then when Tara came in, I, I kind of jumped the gun a, a few spots in the service. I started to come down to come take her from her, her dad. But my brother, who's the best man, he had to reach out and grab me and pull me back. Now, the reason why I jumped the gun was I was so excited. I saw her come in, and, and I was overwhelmed with her beauty. And I think there's something to that in celebrating the Lord's table. It is recognizing the beauty of God. The, the, the joy in knowing that he has offered us salvation in his son, Jesus Christ. This is a moment where we allow that, 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 that excitement and, and the love to well up in our hearts. Not, not as just something we do. We're not just going to snack on a piece of bread. We're, we're celebrating God's love for us in sending his son, Jesus, to rescue us, to redeem us. And to welcome us into his family. And so my invitation to you before, I'm going I'm to pray, just give us a moment. My invitation to you is to just think on that. To consider that, that this is a, a moment of celebration. A, a moment where, where we can allow that gratitude to well up in our hearts. Because we notice God. We notice what he's doing. So let me pray. And in that, in, in that moment of prayer, allow you to kind of think on that for yourself. Heavenly Father, we are here to celebrate you. We give thanks, Lord, for your love. In some ways, Lord, we, we, we feel like that uh, the Roman centurion that says, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, we know that there is more to enjoy in Christ than, than probably we're even noticing and paying attention to. And so, Lord, this morning as we, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we, we pray that you would cultivate that gift, that, that spiritual fruit of gratitude in our hearts. We don't want to be those people who are, uh, who feel worn out and tired and angry and depressed or, or worried. We are, Lord, I am. But Lord, I desire to be filled to overflowing with gratitude because of you and noticing you and noticing what you've done. Lord, may that begin at this table for all of us when we notice what God, what, what you have done in sending your son Jesus, because you love us. Cultivate the fruit of gratitude in our hearts, we pray this morning as we celebrate 
the death and resurrection of Christ together at this table. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as we mentioned, on the night that Jesus was portrayed, he gathered in the upper room with his disciples. And, and as he did, he, he took the bread, and he broke it, and he gave thanks. And he said, this bread is, is my body, which is broken for you. Do this whenever you eat of it in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, when Jesus took the cup, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is a symbol of the new relationship we have in Jesus Christ. This cup is a symbol of the new creation we are through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. And so Jesus invites us to, to drink of this cup, and as often as we do, drink of it in remembrance of him. Heavenly Father, our gratitude begins right here at the cross in seeing what Jesus has been sent to do on our behalf. God, help us to understand that more. Not just to, to know that it happened or to notice that it happened, but Lord, to turn back to Jesus because we, we see what happened. Not just that Jesus died on the cross, but that in his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, we have new life. We have been adopted into the family of God. May that faith define us. May that faith make us well this morning, we pray. And may, may you continue to cultivate gratitude in our hearts. Not because we're trying harder or because we, we want to, to show you that we're grateful people, but because, because of who you are and our noticing of who you are and what you're doing. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his death on the cross on our behalf. Thank you for his resurrection from the grave to defeat death and to invite us into this new life we have in Christ. We pray this all in his name. Amen. As we sing, we're going to continue to celebrate the gift of the cross. The chorus says, your blood has washed away my sin. Jesus, thank you. The Father's wrath completely satisfied. Once your enemy, now seated at your table. Jesus, thank you. Would you stand with us? for me.
Church, we have been given all the reasons we have to be filled with gratitude, but we need to notice, and it's not an easy thing. So may we go out from here encouraging one another to notice it. Don't allow Satan to make you feel bad or guilty because you're not already more grateful or you don't notice it more. Uh, That's not from the Lord. The Lord invites us into that place where we can notice all the many reasons we have to be filled with gratitude. So... As we close our service, may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of his eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Go in peace.